it, it is a it is a multifaceted problem that requires a number of approaches and the last thing anyone should be doing especially if you consider yourself a leftist is to be vilifying aspects of the decriminalized aspect of it or the march or movement towards harm reduction or framing them that way because oh yeah that's gonna like that's such a gift to right-wingers draconian uh, drug laws and if you end your segment with and by the way i don't want the war on drugs just so you all know right like at this point we've got only a couple minutes left uh, for for that message to be like okay that gives you cover when, when you want to quote tweet someone like me and be like oh lance is a clown who's dishonest and lost so badly to tim pool that he had to make up lies about me all right uh, keep on cooking but uh yeah at, at the end of the day it's pretty clear what the messaging is look at Portugal, you look at what some other form is, would we tackle this better if we legalized it and regulated it? I and I know that seems like a crazy notion. Of course. Look, but I, you look at some of the outcomes in Portugal and you think, well, maybe it's not so crazy. But I think Portugal's a very different country. And in fact, if you look at some of the strategies that have been tried in Portugal, some of them have been tried in certain municipalities in the United States. And what you end up seeing is drug overdose numbers go up, addiction numbers go up. So I think if the Portugal approach could work here, it would have frankly already worked. That was Republican Senator J.D. Vance from Ohio, making the case that while drug decriminalization worked in Portugal, similar models have not worked out so well in the United States. Now look, considering the pretty brutal spikes in overdoses and deaths in America each year, I was ready to at least hear him out. But he actually might be getting something wrong. In fact, we might all be getting something wrong. Okay, let's watch more and I'll explain what I mean. Look, some harm reduction absolutely matters, right? Suboxone to sort of medically assisted treatment uh, for people who are trying to break, break clean of this stuff. All that's part of the equation. But I, I think that if we believe we're going to solve the opioid problem by handing out needles, we're going to make the problem worse. And in fact, we're already seeing evidence that we've done this. So, uh, no, I don't think that's the solution. But I do think that we should follow the evidence wherever it ultimately leads here. Legalization is not going to help, but maybe doing medically assisted treatment more and making that more accessible, that's a good solution. Look at J.D. Vance mentioning Suboxone and uh, medical treatments to help people who are suffering with addictions. It's incredible. I mean, can we just address his tone and how much Vance has moderated his messaging since running in the GOP primary for his Senate seat in Ohio? He even seems open to doing more than just, you know, locking people up for drug abuse. And he seems willing to admit that the model worked in Portugal. But as I was researching this story, I was actually shocked to find that tides are turning in Portugal and their much lauded drug reforms are beginning to show cracks and weaknesses. Okay, so let's go back and refresh our memories of how Portugal reformed their drug laws. Back in 2001... People asking why we're watching this. So, um, I don't know, I didn't play it yesterday, but um, this entire thing has kind of exploded. Uh, I put a screenshot of this. Uh, I've watched uh, the majority of the segment. Uh, I've, I put a screenshot of this saying that it's just really sad to see where Anna Kasparian is going right now, right? I think I put, like, it must be nice to not have to hide it anymore uh, in regards to how you're framing this story. Because, again, the, 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 the framing itself is, is why do you shine a light on certain aspects of whatever you report on or whatever you talk about or whatever you choose, like in my case, to stream about or be an opinion piece about. What I show you, what I talk about and the way in which I talk about it, right, is obviously going to be with goals in mind, whether or not they are conscious or unconsciously. I'm trying to impart or I will impart messaging in one way or another, right? If there's 500 people who watch this live and they're all seeing this now and then they're like, oh, okay, well, Lance says that legalization uh, is bad, then that's the message they're going to take from this versus me like framing it or doing a different thing. Thing. Why exactly would you want to 
like you know posit a story where Portugal, which in a lot of ways has become a, uh, in terms of people like myself who advocate for drug legalization, has become one of the models that you turn to to show that how horrifyingly bad and i'm sure you know that part is coming up right now is like sorry I, I have seen this that part is coming up right now where anna does acknowledge the things that portugal did get right but then you'll see what the framing and what it becomes afterwards portugal ended punitive drug policies and instead decriminalized consumption of all drugs for personal use consumption remains technically against the law but instead of jail people who misuse drugs are registered by police and referred to dissuasion commissions for the most troubled people, authorities can impose sanctions, including fines, and recommend treatment. The decision to attend, though, is voluntary. So the so-called harm reduction model was born. That's what happened in Portugal. And the initial results were absolutely promising. In fact, TYT covered Portugal's success story many, many times. Here's one example from 2012. And back in 2001, Portugal decriminalized all drugs. Now, we've talked to you about the Portuguese experiment before and that it seemed that it was going well with the numbers. Well, a new report is out. After 11 years of this experiment, how has it gone so far? Well, the numbers are in and they are astounding. The number of drug addicts being treated has dropped by half in Portugal. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. They cut the rate by 50%. What happened? I thought it was supposed to go up. No, there's far less drug addicts. And if you think that's an impressive number... Drug-related diseases, including STDs and overdoses, have been reduced by an even greater number. Look, he wasn't lying. At that moment in time, August of 2012, data indicated that HIV transmission rates through shared syringes had plummeted. And other metrics illustrated the success of the decriminalization policy as well. From 2000 to 2008, prison populations fell by 16.5%. Overdose rates dropped as public funds flowed from jails to rehabilitation. There was no evidence of a feared surge in drug use. The decriminalization policy in Portugal was so successful that in 2009, while writing for the Cato Institute, Glenn Greenwald reported that, quote, none of Glenn the Greenwald. parade of horrors that decriminalization opponents in Portugal predicted and that decriminalization opponents around the world typically invoke has come to pass. And he was right about that. But things have unfortunately begun to shift in a scary direction. Officials in Portugal, including the very architect of decriminalization in the country, say they're noticing a steep spike in the number of people suffering from addiction. A newly released national survey suggests the percent of adults who have used illicit drugs increased to 12.8% in 2022. And that's up from 7.8% in 2001. In other words, there are now more adults reporting illicit drug use today compared to the year the decriminalization policy was implemented with the very intention of lowering the prevalence of drug abuse. Well, one of the key factors when it comes to acts like this, harm reduction, if you will, uh, is that you are looking to reduce the most severe effects of drug abuse, which happen to be overdoses. That's usually where we're going to start, and then we're going to work our way backwards. Um, 
in the case of Portugal, yes, the numbers are astonishing. I'll pull up some more to talk about that as well. There is problems, as there is problems with any system in which you are not actually legalizing drugs, you're not actually solving the problem directly. What you're doing is you're removing the criminal penalties for users. In, in that case, people won't have their entire lives ruined. And you can start to work on things like, hey, the next step would be getting a safe supply so that people who do use are not going to die or overdose from it. You do want to have uh, options available and you should mass produce and distribute naloxone since fentanyl is such a massive part of the drug war and the drug crisis that's happening but right now to use and we're only starting right but to use a, a stat like that be like well hey look it, it increased ever so slightly the amount of people who are using drugs well we do also have to look at what about the criminalization from drugs how many people were put into jail uh, under the previous system versus now how many people uh you know have access to be able to get uh, resources such as rehab uh, resources such as tools necessary in order to help them maybe combat their addiction or use other things have they been exposed to other options available to them or gone through more of a medical pathway than say a criminal one Portugal is still doing better than some European countries, and drug use there is still below European averages. So you've got to look at it all in context, okay? Analysis by the Washington Post found that Portugal's prevalence of high-risk opioid use is higher than Germany's, but lower than that of France and Italy. But what about overdoses? Unfortunately, that's where things start to look pretty bleak. Overdose rates have hit 12-year highs and almost doubled in Lisbon from 2019 to 2023. Sewage samples in Lisbon show cocaine and ketamine detection is now among the highest in Europe, with elevated weekend rates suggesting party-heavy usage. Yeah, I think that suggestion is correct. Now, in Porto, the collection of drug-related debris from city streets surged 24% between 2021 and 2022, with this year on track to far outpace the last. Crime, including robbery in public spaces, spiked 14% from 2021 to 2022, arise police blame on increased drug use. And look, let's just pause for a second. That doesn't surprise me either. People <laughs> I like how people are like, I wonder what happened in that period of time that may have increased the amount of drug use and potential other statistics in crime. True, pandemic might play a little bit into the whole thing, but... People who are addicted, especially if they're addicted to certain drugs like heroin, fentanyl, if they don't get their next fix, they become dope sick. And they could even die in some cases. And so they'll do anything to get the resources in order to get their hands on their next fix. All these, all these dope sick junkies are hitting the streets trying to get their fix so they'll feel. Um, so yeah, right now you're getting into the dehumanization aspect of the entire thing. And that's like, this is where we're starting to drift into, wow, yikesy territory. So that's why you'll notice, you know, instances of burglaries and stuff like that kind of spike uh, in relation to, or, or yeah, simultaneously with a spike. I want to take a break on this one for two seconds. Uh, from the Transform Drug Policy Foundation. Let's learn some things. Drug decriminalization in Portugal, setting the record straight. What you need to know, drug-related deaths have remained below the EU average since 2001. The proposition of prisoner sentence for drugs has fallen from 40% to 15%. Rates of drug use have remained consistent below the EU average. This briefing updates our 2016 report of Portugal's groundbreaking reforms and marks the 20th anniversary of their introduction. Uh, in 2001, they decriminalized personal possession of all drugs as part of a wider reorientation of policy towards health that approaches possession of drugs for personal use instead, treated as an administrative offense, meaning it is no longer punishable by imprisonment and does not result in a criminal record and associated stigma. Drugs are, however, still confiscated and possession may result in administrative penalties such as fines or community service. Whether such a penalty is applied, decided by the uh, district uh, level, sorry. The vast majority of instances, problematic drug use is not identified. Cases were simply suspended. Individuals referred to as commissions were overwhelmingly viewed their purposes helping reduce and use the educate on drug risks. Okay, so drug-related deaths, and this one goes up to 2020. Um, in 2001, Portuguese uh, drug deaths were similar to EU average. 
while rates fell and Portugal following reform, they increased across the rest of Europe. In the same time frame, from 21, uh, 2011 onward to Portugal and the rest of the EU, they've trended similarly, rising from 2015 to 2016. However, the gap between the two remains considerably wider than pre-reform. In real terms, drug death rates in Portugal remain some of the lowest in the EU, six deaths per million amongst the 15 to 64, compared to the EU average of 23.7 per million. They are practically incomparable to the 315 deaths per million aged 15 to 64 experienced in Scotland, which is over 50 times higher than the Portuguese rates. But you don't see a story on Scotland, do you? On, on Scotland's failed policies where they have not done harm reduction in the same way Portugal has. You wouldn't, you wouldn't see that one, would you? Uh, crime. The move away from criminalizing and imprisoning people who use drugs has led to a dramatic change in the profile of the prison population. In 2001, over 40% of the sentenced Portuguese prison population were held for drug offenses, considerably above the, uh, sorry, above the European average, and 70% of reported crime associated with drugs. While the European average has gradually risen over the past 20 years, the, pro uh, the, sorry, the proportion of people sentenced for drug offenses in the Portuguese prisons have fallen dramatically to 15.7% in 2019, now below the European average. Most of this decline occurred in the first decade following decriminalization. So percentage uh, to 2019, percentage of prisoner sentences uh, for drug offenses obviously is plummeting. Uh, drug use has been consistently below the European average for the past 20 years. This particular is the case amongst younger people. Portugal has the uh, lowest rates of Europe for people aged 15 to 34 of drug use. In the first five years of the drug policy reform, the use of illegal drugs rose slightly amongst the general population, fell again in the following years. Use amongst 15 to 24 year olds uh, fell throughout the decade and amongst the population younger to 2012 than it was in 2001. Um, the, the long end of the short here is that, like, yes, there is going to be an increase during uh, the pandemic between a handful of, of factors uh, that's not directly pointing towards a absolute failure. Uh, if anything, their model, like Anna was mentioning at the very start, uh, should be emulated. The, like those those numbers they have achieved within a very short period of time are incredible. Absolutely incredible. I feel the same thing happens here in Vancouver. So in Vancouver, Canada, I have actually been at the front lines of uh, the drug war. I lost my sister uh, to ODs. I've lost one of my best friends uh, to overdosing on fentanyl. I have had to inject people with naloxone. Um, I have worked at like Insight in, in Canada. Uh, it is a very dangerous and scary and abusive place. Yes, there's no question that if you're dealing with people who are deeply addicted to drugs, um, they are not PC. They're not friendly. They're not nice. Uh, they, they scream obscenities at you. Yes, they could be violent, whatever the case nothing like to benefit from dehumanizing them uh nothing to benefit from simply like saying that this is a problem where it's going to be like oh you know these addicts will sort themselves out or whatever it is you need to increase access to things like the loxone and loxone kits uh that are life-saving uh that that have honestly been uh one of the reasons why the od crisis wasn't as bad as it was in vancouver but what do you see jj mccullough and the conservatives in canada do when there's all these overdoses that are taking place because of the rise of what when i was looking at the charts it's like oh this is because of the rise of fentanyl and the introduction of fentanyl into the markets and as soon as that happens yes the rate of ods just skyrockets but that's not proof that the four pillars approach the harm reduction pr approach of vancouver was a failure in fact if you look at the number it goes down at first because of the harm reduction and and the, the policies that were implemented in vancouver and then once fentanyl was introduced boom of course the od numbers spike that's not indicative of like well and, and that's a failure of policy clearly right it's like no we can track the reason for this there's a global increase in ods from fentanyl usage and its prevalence around the globe right yes you need things like free narcan for all uh, percentage of people using an illegal drug in the last year uh, between all the countries, Portugal is amongst the lowest, uh, especially uh, uh, amongst the lowest when it comes to uh, lower age demographics. Um, it's reduced uh, HIV uh, 
Drug policy reform in Portugal included wide-reaching needle and syringe programs aimed at reducing risk of infection amongst people who inject drugs. In 2011, Portugal had 1,287 new HIV attributed to injecting drugs uh, diagnoses. It had over 50% of all new HIV diagnoses attributed to injecting drug use in the EU, uh, despite having just 2% of the European population. Holy fuck. In 2019, it only had 16 diagnoses, and it had 1.68% of the EU total. That's, like, life-saving. That's, like massive massively huge new hiv diagnosis attributed to injecting drug use uh, as it plummets now yes granted the statistics here go up to about 2022 that's when this article came out and portugal set a positive example for what could be done when drug policies prioritize health rather than criminalization at the turn of the century portugal was facing a crisis including high levels of hiv infection amongst people who use drugs many impacts of reform were felt immediately new hiv infections drug deaths and the prison population all fell sharply within the first decade the second decade saw slower improvement in key measures but again if those policies are enacted and you see it go like this and then because of covid you see a bump like that not back to where it was but just like blur that's not indicative that all of a sudden out of nowhere those policies are a failure and we should frame this entire thing as those policies are a failure and it's really disingenuous what anna's doing and what she's done post coming after me on twitter for this because she's like oh you know lying lance who like lost so badly in a, a debate against tim pool so weird by the way why are you bringing up tim pool you weren't there <laughs> i mean if tim cool brought that up now i'd be like Yo, buddy, that was two months ago. Are you are you still bringing that up? As in, like, I, I'm somehow sore about this. And and to be honest, come at me for the things that you know that I've like fucked up and I feel bad about, or I've apologized for, or you can tell I'm like, oh yeah, that, that was that was a pretty rough thing that just happened on the internet. Tim Pool, I'm like, I'm very proud of that. Not only appearance, uh, the amount of people afterwards who were sharing all of those like, you know, left-handed charts and, and meta studies on this shit, and like being like, oh my god, I hadn't seen that before, and like people emailing me and be like, this is so incredible, blah blah blah. Like, I, like honestly, it my my heart swole uh, post the Tim Pool debate, especially watching like so many people cover it, uh, you know, honestly and stuff like that. It's not one of the things that I'm like deep down. I'm like, mm, I'm, I'm pretty pretty hurt about that. But even if I was. You weren't there. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you weren't there, Anna. Like, if everyone's like, what are you talking about? Uh, she came after me. Uh, hold on. Let me open it. I'll show you I'll show you all the the back and forth. And things have really ramped up, by the way. People always say that, like, oh yes, uh, you know, the leftists who throw names. I've never name called Anna. I've I've never used a mean name to describe her. I think the closest I've come is calling her and Jenks take the young turfs. I think that was the closest I got to, 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 to doing the name calling, but but here it is. This was last night. Listen, I get a dishonest and untalented clown like Lance needs to distract from his embarrassing debate with Tim Pool. So he's going to post a screenshot of a story I covered and mischaracterize what I said. Here's the full video. But you weren't there. Even, <laughs> even if that one really hurt me, even if I was like... God, I've really, really had a lot of trouble with this Tim Pool debate. Really looking, looking for some release. Got to go after Anna Kasperi. <laughs> like, time to take down Anna for her Portugal takes. Yeah, that's that. that no, that wasn't my train of thought. I was like, did you coach Tim Pool? Did did you help him? Or were you like, were you speaking to Tim Pool under the beanie every now and then? Anna would be like, talk about abortion. Bring up abortion. Get get Lance to say that he's 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 for my body, my choice, even in the ninth month. That he, that he's for just murdering viable babies. Get get him to say that. Um, I think I responded. Oh yeah, so I said, uh, what does making a post about uh you have to do with me debating Tim Pool two months ago? I was I was seriously confused of all things. Like, why come at me for this? 
Come at me. And by the way, I, I did draw first blood to people being like, Anna's just going after Lance. It's pretty weird that she's been tweeting like, it just kept going like all night because I woke up the next day and I just saw like blah, 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 retweet, quote, blah, 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 like all those things. And I was like, oh, there's there's been quite a bit. I had only had time to respond to like one of the first ones where I was like, here's you kind of agreeing verbatim with almost everything I said during Tim Pool, you know, that, that, that kind of part. <laughs> I felt like cooking tonight, Lance. You hungry? <laughs> yes. <laughs> For whatever this is, sure. I'm curious if, if nothing else. I just, I don't know where you're going with this one. And I love that it's like, how do you do, fellow AAVE users? <laughs> but you're not using it right. You're not, that, no, that's, oh God, oh wow. All right. Um, well, uh, let her cook. And what she does cook, I will eat, consume, as if it was a foodstuffs. Let's have fun with this. I'll roll with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. <laughs> and, like, things kept going on, too. I got to I gotta show you one of the other ones that was sent to me. Because, like, there was obviously some, some big timelines down this whole thing. Oh, and, yeah, and there's some funny memes. I have seen the memes. Got to scroll through. Oh, by the way, shout out to Sam Cedar, uh, who is at the strike in the front lines. I'm just going through these right now and saw that. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty fucking, that's incredible. Uh, I felt like cooking tonight, Lance. You hungry? Ah, <laughs> uh, and I am. I, I am. I am most certainly uh, ravenous because I am just. I'm so curious where this is gonna go. Um, this this went down like a dialogue tree. I gotta show you one of the other dialogue trees that happened. So people like obviously going back. Uh, for someone who's afraid to talk to black people, you sure feel comfortable using AAVE. What makes you think she's scared of talking to black people? She said she was. I would like to see a clip of that. Do you have one on hand? It was her own Adam and Sitch appearance, which is on YouTube. It's also covered by various leftist content creators, including this one. When she says it, do you really think she's saying, I am scared of black people, like because they are black? Uh, or could she mean that she's scared of talking about black issues? Does it matter? It's problematic regardless, and I no longer give her the benefit of the doubt. By the way, you would think that this was just going off in the background without, you know, Anna's participation, but she was reading this and, and like, jumps in. Yeah, I do think so. If you were a supporter of a minority group, I shouldn't be scared of saying something that you disagree with and get canceled for it. Do you think that's an unfair thought to have? When you're coming from a genuine place and trying to be an ally and aren't being racist, minorities don't just cancel you. And if they could, by the way, wouldn't they have done that? Wouldn't Benny have already canceled, like, both Jank and Anna? If trans people had the ability to just do that, to be like, oh, yes, you've been canceled now. Yep, you, you broke the rules. You you not only had one, you had four. Four transphobic takes in a row. A couple of them were gender critical. One was definitely super turfy. And supporting Jesse Singal is a massive yikes. You have infracted. Yes, you have done the bad thing. You will now be punished. We're going to remove you uh, from uh, common discourse. Yes, uh, so everyone cancel. Anna, Anna will be canceled. Or did you have the show the next day, right? If Olayami had the ability to can uh, sorry, cancel Anna, if Olayami could do that, because Olayami was, like, just, I would say, unfairly who Anna went after at the start of all this, way back when, when she was just dropping into random DMs on a Sunday night out of nowhere, 
cooking, you know, as Anna is one to do, <laughs> just cooking up a storm of metaphorical ideas for one to eat. I think that's what they are trying to say there, right? Anyways, Anna says here, I don't think you're experiencing the current climate we're living in. And then there's an article to Newsweek. A DEI college director fired for not being the right kind of black person. And I, uh, one of those stories where I was like, wait, what is going on? And, and when you look the story up, it's almost exclusively in right-wing circles that are that are talking about this one. Like, Google it. Uh, go go Google it right now. See what the first, like, five or six things are on the first page. It's all, like, uh, Fox News, fucking post-millennial, all that kind of shit. And, and you're just like, what's, what's going on? Why, why are we getting these angles and stories and framing specifically now from a leftist voice or space? Something... Something's going on here, and especially weird for you to post that when you're getting called out in real time for that really weird comment where you're like, you know, sometimes I'm, you know, nervous to, to um, what I'm going to say when I'm around people of color and stuff like that. And it's like, well, that's kind of a self-report, I feel. I mean, that's kind of on you because, like, I, I don't feel that. I'm not sitting there like, mm, they're going to cancel me if I, if I say the thing. I really want to say it. Oh, God. Well, they're looking at me now. Well, they, they probably know I want to say it, don't they? But I'm not going to. I, or red I? I? I should have a right to, though. Ooh, this is awkward. Oh, this is stressful. It's like, so do you want to get a soda or something? Oh, God. Was that a code for something? Am I going to say something racist if I say no? Is, is, is liking clear soda racist? What, what if I... I'll get a... Diet Coke. So what was that racist? I don't know. Diet Coke? But the, the liquid is brown, so maybe it's not racist. I, oh, it's so hard. So many rules. It's, it's hard to keep up with all this shit. Like, genuinely. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't experience this. I don't, like, I could be. I do have a privilege in that a lot of my friends happen to be uh, multiracial. I, I do have, like, a bit of a UN convention, as it were, of a, a social circle and friend group of, of people I love all around me. And I'm never sitting there being like, oh, man, if I step out of line, oof, could get canceled at any moment, you know? <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. Stuff out there, you know? Stuff out there to be white. Or white passy. Uh, so anyways, that's that's where a lot of this went on, and then obviously she started talking about uh, the, the birthing people, and then the, the whole, like, Lance, why are you giving in to Tim Pool's bizarre framing? To which I say, why are you giving in to Tim Pool's bizarre framing at the end of all of this? In, you know, drug overdoses and drug use. Anyway, not only does the Washington Post provide broad statistics on how the liberal drug policy has fared in recent years, they also detail tragic stories of individuals struggling with addiction, leading any non-sociopathic person to feel quite a bit of despair. So take the story of one of the state-funded so-called squad houses on the south side of Porto as an example. The objective is to provide addicts a private place to use outside of public view. But there are unintended consequences, as it enables some to hide their drug addiction from family members who might be able to stage an intervention and help their loved ones get clean. Inside, a 47-year-old man struggled to mix ashy heroin with fragments of crystal crack, crushing both into a souped-up... Like, see, and now at this point, this is utterly disgusting. Because now you're basically trying to use this, and you're, you're basically reframing this in such a way that people should feel bad for, again, if there's NGOs or nonprofits who take advantage of these situations, which, of course there is. Of course there's going to be. Of course, if the government suddenly has to outsource a bunch of stuff, they're not all going to be great and really looking with harm reduction in their first, uh, you know, frame of mind outside of perhaps 
how much can we get in government funding and grants. The same problem exists here in Vancouver, by the way. We have uh, both volunteer clinics, like Insight, for example, where the nurses who work there suffer so much abuse and still volunteer to be there because they know their jobs save lives every single fucking night. Like, I've seen people literally ODing in real time in that place because um, we have a crisis. We have an absolute crisis here. Every single policy that directs you towards vilifying drug users and trying to make things scarier for them or making people think that they're going to be just, uh, you know, uh, people who cannot control themselves and want to hurt and commit violence and steal just to get that next fix, you know, the junkies on the street, um, that is counterproductive. Like, you need to have safe environments with access to a lot of life-saving stuff, such as naloxone. And, and, and there should be situations where people can go to safely inject. And the government in Vancouver, because of fear-mongering, has had massive cuts to these programs. They have had to shut down some of the programs that existed where people, yes, would have life-saving support if they were about to overdose. Because people can successfully say, it's out of control. Like, you can vilify the, the 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 homeless and the poor in Vancouver in such a way that now people will look at that and be like, oh, well, then this is clearly harm reduction and the failure of harm reduction. And look how disgusting things are getting. And come on, you have to be able to truly feel sympathy for these people. Like, look at look at how bad things have gotten in this one, uh, you know, in this one anecdote. Speedball. Observed by a nurse, he took the needle and jabbed it into a vein in his neck. The veins on his hands have dried up, the nurse said, matter-of-factly. I can't use it home, said another person at the center. It causes too much trouble, so I make the drive an hour and a half here. And look, I also don't begrudge some who feel these policies do little to compel people who are addicted to drugs to get clean, because fact of the matter is that's really not what these government-funded organizations are interested in doing, and they're clear about that. In the tourist quarter, in the shadow of Porto's fortress-like cathedral, a social worker with a government-funded nonprofit handed out clean syringe packages to people who use heroin. When crack pipes are available, the social workers give them out. There's no judgment, few questions, and no pressure to embrace change. Now, summing up that philosophy, a woman named Louisa Neves, uh, who's the president of one of these uh, nonprofits, said, quote, you uh, Oh, yeah, thank you for reminding me about this. I wanted to bring this up, and I totally spaced uh, when it first was like uh, released a year ago. Um, a BC research project gave homeless people $7,500 each. The results were beautifully surprising. The results of a BC research project that gave thousands of dollars to homeless people are, and according to one researcher, could challenge stereotypes about people living on the margins. The New Leaf Project is a joint study started in 2018 by the Foundation for Social Change, a Vancouver-based charitable organization, and the University of British Columbia. After giving homeless lower mainland residents cash payments of $7,500, researchers checked on them over a year to see how they were faring. All 115 participants, ranging in ages between 19 and 64, had been homeless for at least six months and were struggling with serious substance use or mental health issues. Of those, 50 people were chosen at random to be given cash, while the others formed a control group that did not receive any money. I had no expectations and really high hopes, said Claire Williams, CEO of the Foundation. What researchers found after 12 months, she said it was beautifully surprising. Not only did those who received the money spend fewer days homeless than those in the control group, they had also moved into stable housing after an average of three months compared to those in the control group who took an average of five months. Those who received the money also managed it well over the course of a year. We saw people retain $1,000 for 12 months, which is remarkable at the Lower Mainland. On average, cash recipients spent 52% of their money on food and rent, 15% on their items such as medication and bills, and 16% on clothes and transportation. Almost 70% of the people who received payments were food secure after one month. In comparison, spending on alcohol, cigarettes, and drugs went down by average 30 Ooh. That one's not going to play well in the propaganda crowd. Because it never does, right? When you look at the reality of what actually helps these scenarios, when it's like, hey, it turns out doing the humane thing is the one that gets the best results. 
housing first, uh, access to healthcare, treating this as a health crisis. Those have the best possible outcomes and results. What about treating them humanely? What about actually giving them money? Things like that. This one would be considered radically Marxist, right? Communism, a hardcore communism. Uh, quiet one, 85. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm a former addict and a pretty hardcore one. I do agree that a person will have to want to get clean, and usually that follows several horrible events in their lives to create our bottom. And that's the other thing, is that this idea where you can suddenly be like, well, uh, if you can see how horrible this government decrim program is, as Anna is now framing this, right, because of all these private health clinics where they're apparently supposed to be able to use in privacy, but look how terrible it is. People have to use terrible, disgusting drugs, and there's no, like, uh, veins left in their arms because of all the drug abuse, and they're not at home where they could get an intervention by their family. And it's like, but that's not what's going to produce, again, the outcomes that any of us want. If you want less people to die, less people to be homeless or living out on the streets, less people to OD, less people to be hardcore users, then that strategy does not get that result. So if we go down that road, you won't achieve the results that you're pretending that you want on behalf of these people, right? Uh, should read the seventh comment down on the video, the one by Black Phoenix, it's good, uh, in the comment section of this. I usually don't put them on because they're usually gonna have, like, a lot of bad language. Uh, it challenges stereotypes we have in the West about how to help people living on the margins. Ray, whose last name Project Researchers did not release for private reasons, was living in an emergency shelter before receiving money from the New Leaf Project. He said the money helped him get housing and take a computer class he needed to work toward his goal of becoming a frontline worker for people with substance addictions. And this is the shit that right-wingers always talk about that they, they, they pretend they want, right? It's like, I just wish they would become contributing members of society why don't they pick themselves up it's disgusting what they've done to themselves look at this vermin on the street all of them choosing this life of addiction you know selling their bodies because they simply love the pleasure of it or something and it's like i don't know if that's true if the majority of people living on the street really want that i, I just as someone who has spoken to those people because i've had family members who happen to be those people and before you say well lance why didn't you off yes of course that's that's after they've ran away from the house so many times because it's a dry house or whatever the case might be or kicked out of family houses because you know uh, a relative of mine whose aunt no longer wants to participate in watching uh, her son die doesn't want her son to be around her anymore yes i I've, I've had to deal with that firsthand to try and help family members and friends who go through that shit it sucks. It's brutal. Being right next door, like this close to hardcore addiction, like seeing it directly in the eyes, like it does show you the reality of the situation that it, it sucks. It does consume people. It takes everything away from them in terms of like, that's all they think about. Those parts are 100% true, but it doesn't work to do what we've always done. We know that because since the drug war was started and since mass incarceration became a key component and since the both expansion of the DEA globally into fucking the rest of the world, we are seeing worse and worse and worse outcomes and results and the uh, increase in more and more and more power driven into hands of both government, private corporations, private fucking entities who benefit from this, the prison industrial complex, which stands to make so much more money as long as there are more human beings in cages, and yes, the people that you claim that you hate, violent gangs, violent gangs get a lot of power from all this. Of course, that's why they sell the drugs. The drugs are profitable. That's why you would put them and they they're very profitable because they're illegal. That's what's giving them all this power. These illegal drugs are dramatically more expensive. Like before weed was legalized, weed is a flower. All right. Uh, the buds that you smoke through the flowers of the plant, it can be grown for the same cost as hydroponic uh, tomatoes. Hydroponic tomatoes can be grown for about $3 a pound. So technically, you could be growing with the energy and consumption and time necessary, $3 a pound for marijuana. At the height of the drug war before we legalized it in Canada, a pound of marijuana could range anywhere from $2,000 to $5,000 for the cost of a, a pound. What's a pound of tomatoes cost? 
So why is one, which by volume, it's just growing a plant. Again, you can do it identically to the same way you grow tomatoes. Why is it that much more money? Because of the war on drugs. That's what's causing that. That's what's making that incredibly high expense to a flower. And the fact that it's, uh, there's a prohibition on it. And so poking holes in decriminalization projects. And this one is like, this one's insidious. This one sucks in the same way that like, you know, Benny had a really good point when she was talking about how Anna is more dangerous if she's taking turf talking points and transphobic talking points because her audiences are going to think that this is a normalized, uh, you know, take. And, and the right is obviously going to publish their things where they have justification from the left to say lies. Like, hey, by the way, puberty blockers may cause irreparable damage to children. Now the right can say that. Now they can bring that up when they give fucking, you know, appeals to the fucking uh, legislation that has been passed against trans people there's a very big danger in this coming from a otherwise progressive space and in this case you are taking elements of the privatization by the way this is pr the privatization of industry the industry itself being in this case helping people giving them clean centers to use drugs and the problems that might be therein which of course there is you can have a conversation about that but that doesn't mean this it's so disingenuous to put this when the statistics, when you look at the numbers on this, holy fuck, it has been nothing short of a miracle. Look at the numbers since 2001. You can't look at the, like the plummeting. We just, we just put all the, the data up on screen. You can't look at everything plummeting, deaths and, and spreading of HIV, overdose deaths, criminalization, people spending long time in jail, all of them fucking bottoming out. And then suddenly there's a small little blip like this because of COVID, COVID-19 did affect a lot of different factors in that and say that it's backfired. The, the totality of the idea is wrong. Instead of no, the idea is good. Here's the things that are wrong with it and we should fix them. This again will only serve people who want to criminalize drugs and who want to continue reinforcing the criminalization of drugs, which results in mass death. And you can't take that mass death and then try and use it for points. Then try and flip it around and be like, well, listen to this tragic story. Here's a sad 47-year-old addict who has to put poison into his body and he's hiding it from his family. And he only has the ability to do that because of drug decriminalization. That's what's happening here. And like, whoa, that's fucked up. That's so fucked up. You have to respect the user. If they want to use, it is their right. Now, I think safe injection sites are important, incredibly important in preventing good, good. the spread of deadly diseases. But how these sites are oh, operating... No, 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 and, and stopping for people from dying. Like, that's, that's like, the ODs is one of the big reasons why. You have access to someone there who's going to be a nurse or a physician who can prevent you from overdosing should that happen. That's one of the key elements of a safe injection site. It's not just because it's going to spread less hep C and less AIDS, uh, sorry, HIV or stuff like that. It matters a lot. And we'll get to what I mean by that in just a moment. And while I want to reiterate that these policies were passed with the absolute best intentions, the unintended consequences are hard to ignore in recent years, but they can be fixed. Now, over the last 18 months, a drug encampment in Porto sprung up below a school. More homes have been burgled. One neighbor said she found a person naked from the waist down shooting up outside her house gate. Residents have launched U.S.-style neighborhood watches and hired private security guards, something exceedingly rare in Europe. Police deployed in force to the area three months ago to crack down on dealers who can be and are being arrested. Patrol cars are now stationed in the neighborhood 24 hours a day, scattering people using drugs. And the mayor of Porto recounts a contradiction spurred by the policy that sounds honestly all too familiar to those living in coastal cities in western United States. These days in Portugal, it is forbidden to smoke tobacco outside a school or a hospital.
They're trying to destroy the pride flag on Reddit. We need to save it. What are you talking about? You'll have to get, be more specific. It is for Reddit's a large to advertise place. ice cream and sugar candies. And yet it is allowed for people to be there injecting drugs. We've normalized it. By the way, the mayor of Porto does not want to reverse. It's the place thing. Oh, places is back. I have mixed feelings about place, you know, because I, I just don't have the same power. Actually, my, my stream is much more powerful than it used to be. Maybe we could carve ourselves out a little corner somewhere. Um, but they're trying to take down the, uh, the, the pride flag. All right. I'll derail this for two seconds because this is a mission. I haven't even seen it this year. Oh, I love this. Okay, so if you don't know everyone, and this only comes back once a year. Um, this is a game that people kind of play online, uh, streamers especially. You have the ability, I think, what, every 30 seconds to put one pixel color on this place. Everyone in the world does. So if you go right now to edit, uh, sorry, to reddit.com slash r slash place, you have the ability every whatever time to put one pixel. So people like, uh, Hassan, who have 20,000, 50,000 live streamers watching him, can create things instantaneously, right? Without other people destroying them. Like, this is Destiny right here. Once again, DGG is going to be, like, probably taking this corner of it. And everyone starts taking their own. Oh, I love this. So last time, they never let Canada have the Canadian flag. And I hope that continues. Canada is not a real place. This is, this is good. Keep this going up. Um... Where is the pride flag that's getting destroyed, though? Because obviously the baddies of the internet try to put, like, N-words and other stuff all over this place. Once, like, XQC joins, he can take any corner of it he wants. Because, again, it's not fair. It's people people with uh, huge streams have powers that people who don't have huge streams do not to manipulate what's happening in real time. Why is everyone bullying Canada? Because it's funny. Yeah, it's because it's funny. Why is everyone doing anything? I don't even know what all this is. You know, I have no idea. I don't know what the fuck that is seems to be everywhere there's not a lot of among us uh creatures they used to be hiding in quite a few spots reddit sucks to replacing mods who are protesting oh wow bottom right ish i can do my part give me a second here place wait i need to choose a color we did it we did it we maintained gayification has has been achieved i helped it's five minutes. Wow, five minutes per thing. That's a that's a long that's a long wait. Hey, there's like almost six hundred people watching. I should see six hundred dots disappear. Everyone, participate, help out, uh, help the cause. You know, don't don't let the baddies win. Don't let don't let the hate crime take place. They're trying to destroy the pride because because they hate us. But we can get it back as long as we all put pixels on a screen. The stakes have never been higher. This is real praxis. Right now, this is the revolution. It's the revolution. It's it's happening in real time. Everybody, you can participate. Do it. Go, go right now to reddit.com slash place and, 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 and add your pixel to the cause. Mine's still holding strong. I, mine is still yellow. I, I've contributed one, one yellow pixel, you know? The flag's in the bottom, bottom right-ish corner. I'll, I'll zoom out a bit. Maybe that'll help. So the flag is here near the word Tetris, which is spelt kind of strange. Oh no, it's, it's, it's reforming. But near the word Tetris and Osu, you'll see the, the pride flag in the corner here. And, and clearly there's a, a battle going on. Clearly the baddies want to destroy this thing. You can tell they're, they're working their best to do it, but not today. Not today. All of you can go there and add one pixel and, and participate. In three minutes and 39 seconds, I'll be able to do one part, you know? You did your part? Good job, Winston. I, you're, I can see it somewhere, you know? Lost if only was that simple. I know. Well, it's kind of like uh, the idea of like, oh, well, you know, we ended racism by voting for uh, Barack Obama. That's a, that's a good thing. So yeah, that's a that's praxis. That's what that is. So go forth, everybody. Defend the the pride flag from the baddies who are trying to destroy it, destroy it in real time. Uh, only you can do this.
I noticed that there seems to be, I can't tell for sure, but there seems to be now a better, a better prevalence of color. I think that you're doing good work, everybody. I think at least 100 of you probably went over there and then got rid of some pixels. Uh, it looks to be a little better. I think we're doing it. You know, you did your part. Damn, good. Yeah, there's a new place. There's a new place. And because I don't have the ability to craft out my own corner, uh, I'm, I'm trying my best to, to, to help out with the, with the rainbow one. There are no trans flags in there. Let's see. Oh, see? You did, you, you, I think you did something. It looks way better than it did before. Before, this whole corner was also kind of scuffed. And this corner, too. I feel like maybe we cleaned up the right side. Maybe that's it. Either way, good job. Good job, chat. High fives. Bro fists. I, I have no magnitude of measuring if that actually happened or we did anything, but I'm going to pretend. I, I want just to have that kind of, uh, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, not self-doubt. Um... When you convince yourself of something, even though it might not be true, uh, it'll come to me. Uh, we can work in shifts. It's two at uh, two a. Oh, it's ten twenty-two a.m. in Germany. Or twelve twenty-two a.m. in Germany. Good, good. Yes, go go there. Help out. Uh, I don't see a trans flag. I don't see a pansexual flag. Kind of upsets me. No representation for the pan boys. Um, I don't see. Oh, we got dicks, and dicks is in rainbow colors. That one's pretty cool. I'm I'm gonna count this. This this counts. You know, it, it, it speaks for all dicks, you know, man dick, woman dick, even non-binary dick. Yes, woke dick, the wokest dick of all. Um, Yeah, look, the flag is, oh, look, we did it. We definitely made an effect. Fam, friends, I, we definitely did something. For all of you, if, if, if we had at least 100 or 200 people, you can tell. It, it's a lot better now. We've, we've, we've contributed. Look at this place. You're doing it. You're doing it. Every single one of you. You're, you're making it happen, you know? Uh, you mean dreaming? Uh, the Amakan dream, uh, dream that you got to be sleeping to be to believe. That sounds kind of like um, uh, waking life, right? Be being consciously awake in a dream. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you thought was so real? Um, this is good. Well done. I'm proud of you all. Uh, I think we did something. We can have some accomplishment. Mission complete. Queers and allies plus one. Baddies and fashies, minus one. Yeah, there you go. We'll, we'll come back to it. I gotta finish this. This Anna Kasparian and Portugal. Just to be able to say that I, I, I in good faith, played the whole thing, okay? I didn't, uh, I didn't cut things out of context. First, the decriminalization law in Portugal. But he is calling for some tweaks, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Now, even the head of Portugal's National Institute on Drug Use and the very architect of the decriminalization policy in the country admitted to local press in December that, quote, what we have today no longer serves as an example to anyone. His words, not mine. But he's not ready to fully reverse the policy, and I'd agree with him. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Instead, he wants to make improvements, and there are two things that stand out to me while looking at this story closely. For one, the program started with the government carrying out services following decriminalization, but later outsourced the work to nonprofits. 
So mm -hmm. Portugal decentralized its drug oversight operation in 2012. A funding drop from 82.7 million to 17.4 million forced Portugal's main institution to outsource work previously done by the state to nonprofit groups, including the street teams that engage with people who Don't use worry, drugs. That's <laughs> the cut in funding quite clearly had a terrible impact and weakened Portugal's successful program. Also, speaking from personal experience here in Los Angeles, leaning on publicly funded nonprofits to carry out the job is a terrible idea. For, for one, there tends on to be a lot of waste. Rate. Just look at the insane six-figure salaries of the executives for these nonprofits and how much money they take home every year, paid for by the taxpayer, of course. Also, these nonprofits would no longer serve a purpose and would no longer receive. Well, the, the, the paid for the taxpayer part, I'm not against. And if, yeah, if the funding has been lowered, you're going to get lower quality and performance from what you're going to achieve from a nonprofit. But absolutely, if, if you don't want, then start, by all means, start a actual government-centered program with oversight and transparency that can 100% get you the best possible outcomes for your dollar. If that's what you want to go down and that's a road, do that. I would personally, if I was just being asked, suggest reaching out to a lot of organizations that already do this kind of on the ground work. For example, there's a lot of organizations in the downtown east side of Vancouver that work voluntarily to make sure that people aren't overdosing on the streets. And, you know, they would have a much better outreach and ability to reach a lot more people, say, than people who are just starting from scratch trying to figure out what exactly is going on. Government grants if drug abuse issues were solved. We certainly wouldn't need as many of them if these issues were mitigated through other means. There's an inevitable conflict of interest, and I'd rather have a centralized government program Luckily, Portugal is headed in the right direction and is now moving to create a new institute aimed at reinvigorating its drug prevention programs. As with many liberal U.S. cities, Portugal's own. lack of emphasis on rehabilitation while pursuing harm reduction strategies is also proving to be a problem. The number of users being funneled into drug treatment in Portugal has sharply fallen, going from a peak of 1,150 in 2015 to 352 in 2021, the most recent year available. And what about so-called dissuasion commissions? The by the way, like the idea with a lot of these harm reduction included and, and the idea being not to dehumanize other human beings for their drug use, uh, especially in ways that gets people uh, justifiably angry in such a way that they're actually going to pass really like draconian legislation towards these groups. But like you want people to survive. We want to reduce the amount of people who are dying from overdoses. We want to reduce the amount of people. This is part of harm reduction. It cannot be solely through the lens of, oh, by the way, uh, are people checking into rehab or getting clean or not using drugs anymore? Like that as is always going to be an unrealistic outcome. You have to look at this again as a health crisis. And that's you're going to be the approach that you, you seek. You give people access to uh, safe environments to do drugs safely, which has shown itself to have really good effects in lowering the amount of people who die and also the amount of transfer of HIV that comes from needle use. You start with that and you give the options to people when they are in that environment, if they want to, of course, because it has to come from, I mean, every addict will tell you this, it has to be when an addict decides to stop being the addict that it's, you're going to have the best rates of success versus, hey, are we just going to force you to try and do something against your will? And, and then what's the recidivism rate going to be, right? Commissions I mentioned earlier that are supposed to, you know, talk to people and try to encourage them to get clean. Well, of two dozen street people who, by the way, that's the Washington Post's wording, not mine, but of the two dozen people uh, who use drugs and were asked by the Post, not one said they'd ever appeared before one of Portugal's dissuasion commissions envisioned as conduits to funnel people with addiction into rehab. Now look, identifying the flaws, the current flaws in Portugal's decriminalization model is critical if we want to avoid circling back to destructive war on drug policies. Some of the earliest adopters of liberal drug policies unfortunately have now begun reversing course. Consider lawmakers- Then why would you frame this whole thing like this? What, like from the start to the finish?
like okay that's one of the reasons why i think a lot of this is disingenuous too is because like when you get that uh on on uh response from anna for example as in like this is disingenuous framing i actually brought up a lot of the things that people don't talk about i brought up the the, the lowered uh you know rates and some some successful results but we have to be serious about this and look at how some aspects of this including you know the humane project of having these clinics where people can use drugs safely i mean are they going home are they lying to their families not getting interventions or rehab like it, it, it it's with purpose i i like I hate this kind of sneaky shit that a lot of people have been doing online where they're trying to basically convey or pass a, a very clear narrative and then in service of that use elements of their videos to be like, well, hey, come on, your critique is unfair because look at this. I also say that, hey, decriminalization has its good parts and there are good parts that we should emulate and there are things that you'd agree with me on. And of course, there's things that I'd agree with, with you on in this segment. There, there's parts of the segment that I'm like, yes, it's good. But I would never either write, craft, or frame something related to the discussion. And again, a discussion that is a very hot topic that people on the right, even if you're doing this like, I'm a centrist and I want to appeal broadly to, to all kinds of political ideologies. So I want right-wingers to be on board with me. Fine. If you frame it like this, they're going to continue looking for policies that reinforce the war on drugs. Like that's that's what this kind of framing leads to. It, it, as long as the entire thing is from a you know either a, a why isn't things why aren't aspects of this punitive enough or are we really being safe because people who are addicts are going to be you know violent criminals? Why wouldn't anyone admit that? There's in Amsterdam and how they decided to institute a ban on smoking pot in public places. I mean, honestly, that reversal seems a bit overboard, but. It's also worth noting Norway's decision to implement a Portugal-like plan to decriminalize drugs. Well, that fell apart in 2021. And cities across the U.S. have implemented... Why? Why? Have you mentioned why Amsterdam suddenly had to reverse course on a handful of these things? How there are very large conservative movements as well and political ideologies in the entire fraction of different um, political groups they have in both of those... Like, these are usually ideologically driven. It, it, it's not simply that, like, well... The policies themselves are an abject failure. So, hey, we should look towards why they're deciding not to do this. I mean, come on. Every, every fucking uh, person at this point understands why uh, the, the prohibition on marijuana is, is on its surface absurd. It, it, like, I am hoping we've come far enough that we can all sit back, you know, especially if we're on progressive and leftist circles and recognize that, and then ask ourselves why did places like Amsterdam that was having a very progressive policy towards sex work, a very uh, progressive policy towards, uh, you know, decriminalizing sex work and having sex work unions, uh, which they do have on, on in the red strip and also uh you know treating uh drugs differently by allowing marijuana to not only be you know sold in stores but at the same time uh they can focus on harder drugs uh, instead like that that's again the framing of all this is so important in their minds portugal's model because of how successful it was in the beginning and to be fair i'd be shocked if municipal lawmakers were aware of the latest data and how it demonstrates otherwise in fact numbers coming out of states like oregon make it pretty clear that they are unaware of some of these issues and flaws. In Oregon, where the policy took effect in early 2021, openly citing Portugal as a model, attempts to funnel people with addiction from jail to rehabilitation have had a rough start. Police have shown little interest in handing out toothless citations for drug use. Grants for treatment have lagged. I would really emphasize that part. And extremely few people are seeking voluntary rehabilitation. Meanwhile, overdoses this year in Portland, the state's largest city, have surged 46%. And if you zoom out and look at the United States overall, the numbers are stunning and incredibly tragic. So in the United States alone, overdose deaths fueled by opioids and deadly synthetic fentanyl topped 100,000 people in both 2021 and 2022. And that's double what it was in 2015. 
Look, people are dying, and we need to find a way to reverse this trend. We desperately need to find a way to save lives without going back to overly punitive policies. Let's just pause for a second. I want to I want to reiterate that. I do not want to go back to war on drug, war on drugs. Like, why do you have to say that? <laughs> Is that not a tell too? Why why does it get to a person? Hey, I just want to be clear. By the way, I, I'm not here to support us going in the opposite direction. I, I think those were draconian laws that were uh, you know not getting the outcomes we want either. What we need to do is have a more sensible, centrist approach to this and really see what can we do in terms of bridging the gap between us and law enforcement. Overly punitive policies. They did not work. They were not good. I do think that we can save this model, but we need to make some tweaks. The problem is people are unwilling to ever admit that something isn't really going as well as we thought it was going, or that there might be some flaws that we might want to work on. Because if we don't learn from Portugal's mistakes, or our own, we definitely will go to war on drug policies and mass incarceration. That again, does nothing to actually deal with- No, no, you're in that now. That's what America's doing. That's yeah. So we're, we're currently like the war on drugs hasn't ended, hasn't been called off. Even under you know Sleepy Joe, <laughs> there has not been like anything dramatically uh, in any direction being taken on in order to uh, slow or prevent this uh, you know amazingly horrifying tragedy. Like just incredible, just devastatingly high numbers that that you see in terms of people overdosing and stuff like that. It, it's like holy fuck, yeah. Um, this this entire system has been such an abject failure that we do need to take radical approaches to this. P places do need to start and and utilize pilot programs that may not already have uh you know direct government support. I mean that's why people on the streets in in the downtown east side have been taking it upon themselves. Like when they don't have uh, support from government programs or funding or stuff like that, they're on the streets with you know, naloxone uh, kits and tents, and they're out there at 3 a.m. Uh, trying to save as many lives as they can, right? If why these individuals... Portugal did make a mistake. They defunded their programs. That's the other part of this too, right? Like, the whole thing is like, what parts of decriminalization backfired? And I want to be really careful in how I frame this, just so you all know, I'm not for the war on drugs, but come on, something happens, like, look at the numbers. They're out of control right now, right? And is that to do with these policies, or maybe it's these NGOs that, like, it's like, well... In large part, their, their funding was heavily cut, as well as their economy has taken a very sharp nosedive. Like, uh, that also speaks to a lot of increases, uh, of course, in, in aspects of poverty. Uh, Portugal was very heavily hit by COVID uh, when the tourism industry completely fucking uh, vanished for a short little while in that country. It, it was obviously uh, devastating to aspects and sectors uh, of their economy, which, yes, will lead to, as there is inflation, it's going to lead to more people who are going to not be able to afford rent and more people who are going to be evicted, which leads to more people being homeless. And yes, people are on the street. They are going to start being exposed to and or having access to drugs and, and utilizing drugs. Like, it, it, it is a... It, is a multifaceted problem that requires a number of approaches and the last thing anyone should be doing especially if you consider yourself a leftist is to be vilifying aspects of the decriminalized aspect of it or the march or movement towards harm reduction or framing them that way because oh yeah that's gonna like that's such a gift to right-wingers and fucking draconian uh, drug laws and if you end your segment with and by the way i don't want the war on drugs just so you all know right like at this point we've got only a couple minutes left uh, for for that message to be like okay that gives you cover when, when you want to quote tweet someone like me and be like oh lance is a clown who's dishonest and lost so badly to tim pool that he had to make up lies about me 
all right, I'd keep on cooking. But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, it's pretty clear what the messaging is. Have drug addiction issues in, in the first place. I stand by right? my It's team. not going to do no anything delete. to actually no help apology. them get rehabilitated. Now, Portugal also commits far more of its resources to social spending programs. So for anyone who might think that, well, you know, maybe the problem in Portugal is the same problem we have here in the United States. Root causes, everyone. Root causes. It's because of poverty. Not quite. The OECD defines this as expenditures targeted at low-income households, the elderly, disabled, sick, unemployed, or young persons. Now, Portugal not only dedicates a higher... Wow, you're really getting ahead of that, eh? Right away. Hey, before you think that apparently helping people out, having stronger social safety nets, you know, social democracy, or just robust systems that help out people who may not be able to help themselves are good, let's just look at the real numbers here percentage of its GDP to social welfare spending compared to the United States, and that's again according to OECD data, it also has a much better healthcare system. While it definitely isn't perfect, all residents in Portugal have access to healthcare, so they have universal healthcare provided by the National Health Service, which is funded mainly through taxes. They still have co-payments, and healthcare delivery is based on both public and private providers. So while it's not a single-payer model, they do have universal healthcare in Portugal, yet they're still having the same problems we're experiencing with drug addiction here in the United States. So sometimes the issues that we're seeing need more than, you know. Well, okay, first off, we're, exp we're experiencing problems with drug addiction and overdoses globally. And yes, it's going to be different based on different countries' policies. There's no question about that. Um, you were just talking about how the numbers are outstanding in terms of, like, uh, the negative impact that it's having right now. Just, like, jaw-droppingly horrifying uh, the, the, the numbers coming out of the United States. And I would completely agree with the fact that, yes, it is really, really frightening to see how bad the overdose crisis is getting in large part. Again, you can track moments and parts of this to the prevalence of fentanyl, uh, uh, and and you know the the uh, under capitalism if you have something like a drug war that's going to benefit people at the top who are trying to make as much money as possible there are going to be people who of course if you have a drug that's like this is 80 times more potent than heroin but it's synthetic we can buy it on bulk and so just by volume if you get a whole bunch of it you'll be able to mix just a teeny little bit of it in with other stuff and it'll have similar or comparable effects to a lot of other drugs depending on what you mix it with so get out there don't use too much because of course i'm not saying that you should go off and kill people but at the end of the day i don't care I'm just like the person who moves it from here to there and it gets stomped on again. It gets stomped on again. It gets stomped on again. More social programs. I think Portugal's model is promising. It shows that it worked. They made some changes beginning in 2012 and those changes were not positive ones. They did not have a... So this entire story should have just been, hey, defunding Portugal's pro programs was a bad thing. Like that, that should have been the fucking, you know, the, the thing at the bottom. It should be like, hey, everybody, I got a story for you about the decriminalization thing in Portugal. Not that it's backfired, that it's a bad idea to defund parts of it because people do need access to a bunch of different forms of medical care. And surprise, surprise, like in many other places, Canada included, the vilification of drug users leads to people when they're deciding what are some of the things that we need to cut from the budget? What are some programs? Well, we give X amount of dollars every year to this like, you know, uh, addiction and overdose uh, program. Well, I'm sorry, but those addicts are addicts and they kind of chose this life. So let's slash that. Let's have a lot less money and care for that uh, and uh, find other places where we can cut the budget because we are going through a lot of, you know, economic problems right now. Positive impact, but that's okay. Clearly they're reversing course and I'm excited to see how the numbers change now that they're going back to a yeah, centralized government model that, you know, takes care of the services associated with their drug policies instead of kind of outsourcing them to these uh, nonprofits. But the point that I'm trying to make here is sometimes you have to adapt to 
the situation changing, and clearly the situation changed in Portugal, and if we're going to point to Portugal as a success story, if we're going to implement Portugal's policies in U.S. cities and use Portugal as an inspiration, we just got to make sure that we implement it correctly. Because my fear is if we don't, if the policies fail, the pendulum will swing in the opposite direction, and we need to prevent that from happening. You're moving it that way. Oh, man, is this just going to be what comes every single time we see Anna segments now? Is it just going to be like, I'm going to frame this in such a way that I tell you an aspect of what I think this leftist or progressive policy is doing very wrong and frame it in such a way that it looks as if the, the totality of that thing is a failure. Unless we specifically acknowledge our faults and we acknowledge the things that we're doing wrong, such as you are demanding too much if you ask for uh, trans women to participate in cis women's sports leagues. That's that's too far. It's not a winning topic. It doesn't win us elections. We can't even advocate for that uh you're pushing it too far if you're starting to say that puberty blockers are safe for trans kids to use we don't have all the evidence yet that one's not fully in so we have to be honest and this is how we're going to win like framing it constantly over and over and over it's like and i'm sorry but like you know if, if you don't do the, the the thing then obviously we're all going to fall apart here thanks for watching the young turks i really appreciate man this sucks it's just shitty it sucks and is shitty um, there's a lot of great articles uh, and a lot of people who have studied a lot of what's been taking place in Portugal, by the way. I completely agree with the fact that, like, if anything, they should see the results that have come since 2001 and the effects that they've had um, and, and the incredible, uh, incredible things that they pulled off as a model for the rest of the world to emulate uh, and emulate, yes, specific aspects of it. But in large part, if systems or parts of it are starting to fall apart for two reasons, one, that you're outsourcing to NGOs and two, you're underfunding that outsourcing, that's the story. It's not... The decriminalization of drugs in Portugal has failed. It's like, hey, these aspects of it, again, privatization and the outsourcing to private companies and NGOs uh, and also underfunding those same companies is resulting in X. Okay, well, then that's that's what we have to talk about. You know, the, the framing of this is so incredibly important. And it's also just kind of like disingenuous honestly at this point to keep hearing that like oh no i'm I'm not taking like a turfy or a transphobic take uh, i'm just trying to help us win elections or i'm not taking uh you know a propaganda or an anti uh harm reduction or anti-decriminalization take uh i just want us to win elections or win you know in the conversation by presenting it in such a way to my audience because again it's your audience if i did a show on portugal and decriminalization rates and i intentionally was just talking to everybody and was like uh so just so you know there's aspects of it that while it was supposed to be good at the start and it was it's gotten kind of fucked and here's the things that are really fucked up about it now i'm going to be truthful and acknowledge that like these are ngos and these are like you know programs that uh, you know they they outsource to ngos i'll be honest about that aspect but we gotta just be real here and look at this what parts of this entire program are failing and it seems if a couple parts are failing well we get uh, let's just reassess and if we're not careful the pendulum will swing in the opposite direction, as in the things that we haven't implemented in the United States at all could potentially not happen if what happens in Portugal is bad. Like, the U.S. doesn't have the harm reduction system that Portugal does uh, in its totality. There, there might be pockets where experiments have happened, just like in Canada, there are pockets where experiments have happened in British Columbia and Vancouver specifically and the downtown east side where we have tried pilot programs and some have been, yes, very successful and reduced the amount of people dying from overdoses by very large magnitudes. But it's only a start. It's an underfunded thing that requires a lot more work, you know? outreach programs and the humanization of addicts uh access to a whole bunch of different things especially and yeah hey i'm totally for alternative uh you know uh, addiction recovery 
um, centers as well that are controversial. If there's been shown to have a lot of uh, luck in things like ayahuasca therapy or ibogaine therapy or uh, the use of like psychedelics or uh, mescaline under a supervision of a trained professional uh, in order to try and help people who struggle with addiction. Uh, I am for, uh, you know, trying experimental things that work. If they have results, they can be clinically proven, especially in like, you know, double blind studies in labs to actually be able to be used as part of a therapy, then yeah, of course, by, by, by all means, you know, go forward with that kind of shit. Yeah, it sucks. Do you enjoy the surfs, but prefer not to have to use your eyeballs? Many are saying this. Well, we've got the solution for you. It's the Surf Times in podcast form, available on most major podcasting networks now. If you enjoy it, please consider leaving a good review and feedback because it really helps the show out, apparently, and it's free, just like the podcast. Thank you kindly to our Lord and Saviors, Peyton L. Just and Xander Corvus. Without you, we are nothing. And now, a shout-out to our Knights of the Square table. Amazing Flesh, Anna Loves Riley, Adrian McCarthy, DM Rivera, Doug Cady, Everything Important, Hegbard Celine, Izzy Solidarity, La Media Panza, Matthew Scarborough, Multimondi, Nettle, Omni, Peanut Butter Blonde, Political Papi, Quiet185, Rachel K, Riley and Anna, Roller Dragon, Kubi, Cernicus, Spinach Monster, Stellar Vision, Sebastian Dimmel, Thomas, Trevbot EXE, Lucidry, Words Greenwood, Cheryl Alvarez, Tony Perkins, Thomas, O'Pecker, Travis McClinton, and Victoria Bell. Thank you so much. And a huge shout out to all the other people who make this entire show possible. Without you, it would not exist. If you can support us, please go to patreon.com slash the surfs, and even $1 can help unlock all of the little goodies and help make this show entirely possible. 